Hello there listeners, this is Tay Sheraton. I'm a consultant anaesthetist from Newport in South Wales and one of the vice presidents of the Association of Anaesthetists. And you're listening to the Association's podcast, Coffee and a Gas. Today, I'm hugely excited to be talking to Dr. Shahina Bruganza and Dr. Krista Bell, who are both consultants in emergency medicine in Gold Coast, Queensland, Australia. I know Krista from medical school. We both qualified from Cardiff University and are meeting up today along with Krista's colleague Shahina in the beautiful Gold Coast of Australia. At medical school, Krista was one of the sporty crowd, who was an excellent athlete and hockey player, having represented Wales as a teenager. Since then, Krista has maintained her sporting prowess and has competed in the World Off-Road Triathlon Championships representing Australia. Truly inspiring. Krista's worked in Cardiff, Brisbane and Sydney before settling in the Gold Coast in 2002. She has a passion for training and education in the emergency department, as well as all things well-being. Shahina is also a consultant in emergency medicine and has previously also been a director of clinical training supporting hospital-wide junior doctors. She's passionate about non-technical skills in medicine and has a particular interest in professionalism, communication and emotional situational awareness. Her work will be done when such skills and attributes are no longer considered optional extras, but as core qualities demanded by the healthcare profession. Shahina has spoken extensively about wellness at individual and team level. She is the founder of the fantastic One ED programme at the Gold Coast Health, which we are going to discuss today. Today, I'm speaking to Shahina and Krista about their well-being work, how it is developed, what makes it work, challenges that they have faced, and why well-being is a team sport. So hello, Shahina and Krista. Shahina, I, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how you first got interested in well-being. Hello, Tay. It's an absolute pleasure to be here and to be in this conversation, and an extra pleasure to be in the conversation with my good friend, Krista. Uh, the the history of this journey for me started in 2002 uh, when I was uh, a second year emergency medicine trainee. It was my first year here at the Gold Coast Hospital. Uh, And I'd been told before I came here that it was a busy place. And in fact, it was an extremely busy place. It was heaving, you know, from morning till night. And in October of that year, after having worked quite hard for 10 months, I was blindsided by an experience where from one evening to the next morning. I just had this inexplicable experience where I just had tears uh, running down my cheeks as I looked after the first patient of that shift. And it was just really perplexing to me what was going on because behind the tears, I was actually quite bereft of emotion. And to cut a long story short, I think what I learned from that experience and from the people that I talked to and shared the experience with people that supported me, you know, what I had been cognizant of was the physical fatigue and exhaustion that had occurred over that 10 months. But what caught me by surprise was the emotional exhaustion that just kind of crept up on me and probably in this cumulative fashion, just kind of overwhelmed me one morning. And, uh, you know, I was uh, with the help of my boss, I recognized that experience as burnout. And over the preceding years, I kind of focused on my training to a large extent. And then, you know, when I became a senior doctor, I embarked upon uh, a journey of kind of discovering specifically what mindfulness was about and then bringing some of those practices and strategies back into our emergency department. 
and we can talk about that more in a moment. Oh, that's really interesting. So it sounds as though this really challenging event in your life has driven you forward to to set up this program and to help others and, and prevent others from finding themselves in a similar situation? Yeah, I think look, I think that's fair to say. I think one of the lessons that I've learned is to not be overly ambitious in our goals. And, you know, if we can impact one person every now and again, you know, that, that's a, a massive reward. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to overreach and say that we're preventing illness or struggle or um, negative experiences in people. I think our modest ambition is to do nothing more than to try and normalize this experience and to encourage the conversations around them. And so from that experience, how did things progress after that? And, and yeah, maybe talk a little bit about how Krista became involved, because I know that you work very closely together. Sure. Ongoing credit to our boss, David Green, who was the person who sat down with me, helped me to understand what was going on for me. And at the end of that conversation back in 2002, his kind of parting words were, Shahina, I think one day you'll do something important with this. And that impacted upon me, A, because, you know, I have a type A personality like many of us and, you know, kind of gave me maybe a little bit of a distraction and a purpose that I was much more used to dealing with than with the emotional experience And B, I guess they were kind of prophetic words in a way. You know, while they didn't make tangible sense to me at the time, I can see what's transpired since then. Many years later, we embedded the One ED program into our department. Uh, That was in 2016. Uh, And like I said, we employ some mindfulness strategies, but we broadened out um, from there to try and be a bit more inclusive uh, of our staff. And pretty much from the beginning, Krista was, you know, a very engaged participant. And, you know, this is probably a reflection of Krista in general, that um, for myself and for others, whatever it is we might be embarking upon, or whether it is just, you know, our performance on a day-to-day shift, Krista is the kind of person that makes you want to bring your best (laughs) to the fray. But over time, Krista has, I think, evolved from being an engaged participant to really being a co-leader in this Um, and it's just been a delight and a gift to have her you know co-own this with me because it's kind of helped to liberate me from feeling like a bit of a soul champion at times. Oh that's that's interesting so so it sounds as though having somebody in a leadership position who's supported you and lifted you up has really been quite instrumental in getting this project off the ground. And do you think this would have happened if without that that little I am lift? 100% sure that it would not have happened. <laughs> and such a short conversation. A very short conversation. And then a second conversation years later where, you know, a couple of us came back from a mindfulness two-day seminar and we said to David Green or Greeny as he's called you know what would you think about us having you know a, a couple of moments in the week where we pause we might do a guided meditation or we might do a reflection uh, and I think the truth is that uh, he didn't fully understand what it was we were suggesting but he embraced it anyway and I think that trust in us and the value of bringing that wellness conversation into the open was what led to then what we developed. Uh, And I must say it was David Green, but also his deputy director at the time, David Spain, who was also a senior 
man in our department. And I'll share one quick anecdote because I think this really illustrates their support of this. In the early days, basically, we instituted this four-minute pause during handover uh, once a week. And I arrived one morning. It was probably the third week we were doing it. And I looked at my colleagues and I said, do you mind if we pause for four minutes this morning? Uh, and the looks on their collective faces said to me, really, Shahina, you know, the place is heaving already. We really need to just get on and do our job. We don't have time for this. And I must say, this is all in my head. and It was unspoken, <laughs> but I think quite palpable. Uh, and David Spain was among them. And he said, the day we think we don't have time to pause is the day that we need it the most. And, you know, I probably could have expressed the same sentiment, but it wouldn't have had the same power or impact and I will always be grateful to David Green and David Spain for helping launch this. Yeah, so there's kind of somebody on the sidelines or, or not giving the message is, is supporting the message as, as immense strength. Oh. So Krista's always been a great team player from medical school. She was very sporty, whereas I was mainly in the social drinking crowd. But I saw her at the social drinking <laughs> events. Um, so Krista, I was just wondering, how do you feel about you know, or how did you feel when you first became, I suppose, a well-being warrior? I think I just have a belief. I have a real belief in what Shahina was was doing. And I just have a belief that it's so important in our role that we care for ourselves and care for each other. And I guess as I've got older and I've had more reflection about my own personal journey, I think that's enabled me to see things what I believe is quite simplistically in that like to do things well we need to have balance and that balance is really important and I think to bring your best self to work each day in a job where we invest emotionally hugely with the connections we make with our patients with the things we see with the encounters we have the importance of being as well as you can is really kind of it can't be underestimated and I think having a name for that and having a name for how you need to attend for that to me kind of was really important so like I'm like as you've alluded to I'm quite a doer whereas I love working with Shahina because she's got the ability to articulate things so succinctly and so clearly and I can kind of enact them that kind of is one of the ways I think we work really well together and I think it was having, you know, I, I reflecting on what Shahina had recognised from David Green was that, you know, it takes a very emotionally intelligent person to take something that you in your life perceive as a really negative thing and a bad thing and, and signpost it as something that will become a real part of you and something that you can share with others and take forward so I think that him I think him labeling that for you was probably part of you healing as well wasn't it you know you're in this broken state but he said to you that you need to sometimes go through these broken times to become the person that you're destined to become I don't know where I'm wandering off with all of this but like I, I guess I'm really appreciative of the fact that just attending to things that make you able to turn up and be the best you can be and give those a, a forum, a word, a label and have a meaning behind that, I think is really powerful. And I think as this kind of wellness movement, mindfulness, whatever we want to call it, has is gaining traction amongst our executives, I think 
it's really quite an exciting time moving forward because we want to be the best people we can be and we want to have avenues to do that and I think it, you can can become very lost in a big hungry monster that can chew you up very easily in medicine. Yeah, I, I hear that. So yeah, just being able to be your best self. Um, do you bring something from your sporting experience that contributes to that philosophy? For me, I know that my happy place and the place where I get well essentially is through exercise and that's probably a combination of endorphins a connection with nature being out enough that my family know this too well and they say mum you need to go for a run now it's time off you go so they very clearly recognize when I need to have that little kind of pepper that little spice and things like that I think from a team player perspective I think I was not the person in hockey who scored the goals. I just couldn't shoot on target, but I could run the ball down and I'll run up and down as hard as you want in midfield to get the ball to the people who can strike. So I kind of, in that sense, see myself as somebody who hopefully empowers the team. And I see my role in that wellness center space as well to so that's really interesting. Your sporting achievements and your sporting persona is reflected slightly in the persona that, that you have within within the wider wellbeing team at, at, at the Gold Coast. I think so, yeah. And I think and I think I'm able to bring what makes me because you know, one of the things we do is we share strategies about how we keep well, how do we unpack things, how do we sort things out? And everyone has a different space or a place where they do that. And so I'm able to share what what makes me well and keeps me good. It strikes me, Krista, that you are the feeder, whether you're on the sports field playing hockey <laughs> or at work. I mean, I think you score a lot of goals at work as well. <laughs> but I wonder whether what you've described is that you are the, the feeder and the enabler to allow other people to score goals. Yeah. Which, um, I think yeah, like I was, I was good at crossing the ball into the circle. Don't ask me to shoot it through the goal, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Shahina, I was... Does, what have been the biggest challenges in developing the 1ED programme? Or perhaps describe a little bit about the 1ED programme first and then tell us about the challenges. Yeah, sure. So, Tay, the 1ED programme has evolved over the years and probably our kind of flagship of it now is that we conduct this four-minute pause at handover at both of our campuses on a Thursday morning. You might ask why four minutes, uh, and the answer to that question is it's a bit longer than three and a bit shorter than five, uh, and about the attention span, I think, of most emergency doctors. And what we do during that pause is we might do a guided meditation, uh, or depending on who's on that morning, if someone is uh, comfortable with sharing uh, a personal reflection or you know uh, a message for the day then that's what they'll do or we'll do a stretch and during COVID when we weren't allowed to be in the confines of our handover room we'd have handover on the ambulance uh, ramp which was not that conducive to a meditation or a reflection so Krista took this to the next level and we'd actually do a four minute stretch we've also done a four minute pump at times and I think what we do in that time matters, but I think what matters more is the statement that we make by actually pausing for that period and the statement of recognizing that what we do is actually not normal. And, you know, yet uh, we might think that we're expected to just grind on without having a human response or a human experience of it. And it's really just to pause and pay attention to the fact that what we do is extraordinary. 
and that we are entitled to have very human uh, emotional responses to it. Initially, when we did this, you know, it, it felt like it landed like a lead balloon. Uh, but then slowly, you know, one or two people would say something to me or someone else about how it had impacted upon them. How one of the consultants shared a story about how she gardened her way out of depression. And someone came and talked to her later about how they had also had a similar experience, but gardening was their salve. Another consultant has talked about how he looks for reasons to be grateful uh, in every shift and very tangible, you know, very tangible things with each patient interaction that he'll uh, find gratitude for. And I think the, the messages, while they might be, here's how I contend with the shift, I think um, the sometimes more subtle messages, I need strategies to contend with the shift because it is challenging and it is hard and I do sometimes get anxious or overwhelmed. And I think even just that sharing of vulnerability is very powerful for the breadth of people in the room. We do a few other things. We have pancake or bacon and egg mornings. Uh, we sometimes raise money for charities like with the Gold Coast Marathon. Uh, and every now and again, we break out into a flash mob, uh, yeah, which we're a bit fun. overdue for. Yeah, we need to dance again. Yeah. We had a great, we were, we were good at dancing. <laughs> we're also very modest. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're really modest. <laughs> so so it sounds like that's been quite a powerful intervention and it, about sharing experiences sharing coping mechanisms a little bit of food in there and a little bit of fun and exercise and laughter I was interested in your point about um, taking four minutes um, and I was I was reflecting whether in theatre our attention span could be as long as four minutes I was thinking maybe we might manage 90 seconds but I was also wondering about the, the number of people that you have there. And also, is there a reason that once a week is just palatable enough? Or Yeah, the, 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 among the lessons we learned, when we started, we were doing this every weekday morning. And we'd also have our poor night shift cohort in the room. And we just learned that that was just a little bit too much for people. The other things we learned was that a moment of stillness wasn't for everyone. And whether you were finishing a shift or about to start a shift, uh, some of the comments were that it felt almost disingenuous to have a moment of stillness, knowing full well that we we're about to enter a chaotic environment. And so we kind of broadened out our practices from being, you know, more still activities to being uh, a little bit more sharing, uh, even a little bit more active uh, sometimes to try and encompass, you know, where everyone was at. Oh, thank you. So, uh, Krista, I, I was just thinking as Shahina was talking about that, about are you the one that was bringing the physical and the moving and the, the exercise elements? More so when it was my turn to back up a pause. It was easier just to do something physical than actually think of a message. But usually the is something that's happened in your day, in your week. Like today, Shahina and I both turned up and realized that the doctor who was planning to do the pause today was off sick. And so in the three or four minutes it took us to walk from the car park, we shared some reflections and then ad hoc, ad libbed the pause to our staff, which was just shared observations of some things that had happened for us within the last week or for me, the last 24 hours. So, um, I think I I enjoy the, um, not the challenge, I think I enjoy the activity of trying to think of something or a story to share and a reflection to put with that. 
But some days I haven't got anything. And so then I know for me, I love a good old stretch. And actually, I think like Shahina said, in those COVID times, it was just really nice when we weren't supposed to touch anyone to just kind of have a little bit of rebellion where you could actually do a pec stretch and you could hold on to each other's arms and just pull your shoulder blades off your chest wall. And how good does that feel? So I think, you know, thinking of your environment, how you'd bring that into there, what a great place to do a stretch in theater, you know, and it does, it just connects you as a human and you're actually doing something nice for your colleague. And the amount of people say, I felt great after the stretch this morning. And it's evidence-based, isn't it? You know, that's why those big Japanese car companies all have stretching on the forecourt in the morning. Yeah. So I've I've definitely heard of anaesthetists that will do a simple yoga pose at the part of the the briefing as a way of kind of connecting the whole team and also having, as you say, that getting out of your your head and into your body a little bit as a way to start the day. It is a lovely way to start the day. So from a practical point of view, do you have a rotor then for who is, is, is that part of, partly on the rotor? So Tay, all of this is probably far less sophisticated than you might be imagining in your head. <laughs> uh, but basically, um, each month I look at the roster, see who's on an early shift, which consultant's on an early shift, and see who might be amenable slash feel sorry enough for me to lead the four-minute pause. I will send them a video and a little blurb that is their backup pause, but I'll invite them that if they feel you know, inclined and they've got a message or a story to share, that that would be great as well. So basically, I send out a, a recipe at the start of every month for all of the upcoming Thursdays. And just so I can get a bit more of a picture, how many people would be present at the pause? Yeah, probably 20 20 to 25 people and probably about 15 to 20 at uh, our sister campus. And in the early days, um, if people didn't engage, and you've already mentioned how powerful it was for, for the director to to support it and say this is important, how did you manage those kind of issues? I think it's about giving people options. For example, the stretching would be a very, there were a number of people who clearly felt uncomfortable doing stretching. And so it was easy. You would just say, look, guys, we're just going to have a stretch. This is an optional activity. If you wish to join in, please do so. You know, there's no judgment if you don't want to, you know, and that's, and it was as much as that. It's the same as the guided meditation. You can sit there quietly with your eyes open or closed, you can do the breathing, you don't have to do the breathing. You know, it's it's kind of an individual thing and it's an invitation to join in if you wish. But again, it's a no judgment space where if you don't partake, that's fine. No, it's fine. I think that open-mindedness was key, Tay. And, and also, you know, while we said to people there'd be no judgment in their participation or otherwise, I think, you know, we also had to learn that it wasn't a judgment of us whether they participated yeah. or not. And uh, there was certainly uh, scepticism and cynicism when we started, and there probably still is in, in a healthy way. Uh, and one of my other learnings was to really pay attention to that and to respect it. Uh, because that's what helped the program to evolve. Uh, you know, this this feedback that stillness was not for everyone or it wasn't always the right time for a moment of stillness. Uh, and another feedback point I had was actually just a, a query of, is something broken? What is it that we're trying to fix? 
and how will you know that you've succeeded? And that made me really reflect on, you know, this is not just about fixing something or someone that might be broken. This is um, just about creating a collective culture or a collective vibe where everyone could thrive wherever they may be on that certain day. Uh, so, you know, it kind of evolved my thinking into could this just be who we are rather than a response to a crisis? There were a number of people who'd had significant challenges with mental health, anxiety and depression and would could at times be quite skeptical and say, oh, that's not going to stop you. You know, if you've got to, well, of course it's not. We don't have any illusions that like having a program. But I think by building a culture within an ED, the feedback, particularly from junior doctors who've rotated into this space from elsewhere is, wow, this is just a, a nice space to be in. The conversation has been opened. And I think it really comes back to that as acknowledging that these conversations matter, these thoughts matter, these team building things that we do matter. So something about having something that appeals to a wide range of people, but also that people don't have to engage in if, if they don't want to and sending out a message that we we care and this this is important and this is the way that we do things here. Hmm. Tay, another learning for me was that one of the keys to engaging some people was to focus less on the wellness aspect of it and focus more on the performance enhancement aspect, particularly when we started uh, with more of a focus on mindfulness. And if you get a bunch of scientifically minded people together and say, we're going to spend four minutes talking about how we can feel better or be more well, you're likely to have a significant proportion of those switch off. Whereas if you said we're going to spend four minutes talking about how we can be better at our jobs, then they were more likely to engage. And then, you know, kind of drawing on the scientific basis behind either a stretch or a meditation and how it helps attention, focus and situational awareness. You know, that was one of the keys to engaging some people at the beginning. So part of that is around um, understanding what's driving your workforce and what, what are the important things to them. I was, I was wondering, was there a difference in attitude based on age? I'm going to speak purely from observations, probably quite variable, mm -hmm. I would say. Each term, I take the interns for a session on you know related issues to this. And I've been doing that for maybe four or five years. And I am amazed each year at how much more literacy, I suppose, uh, the younger generation has around awareness, self-awareness, self-management even, yeah. uh, and their exposure to uh, practices like mindfulness or meditation or otherwise is certainly better, I think, than it was for my generation. Yeah, and you just see that in our school age children who... You know, that is part and parcel of addressing that, which is really good. I think it's really, it's a really healthy thing that's happened. Yeah, I think when I reflect back on our time at medical school, all we did was just they put a hoop in front of you and you just jumped through it. I don't think I ever spent a moment thinking, being mindful, but I mean, it probably was mindful without knowing it. But yeah, I never thought about it. It's been an interesting change. Uh, Krista, I was wondering what, what thoughts you had on the, the team and how you make up a, a team that's going to support your well-being strategy? I think you have to have people within that team who share the belief. So, you know, obviously we're really fortunate here that 
there's two nurses, Peressa and Lorraine, who have really embraced this and have organised activities and are very kind of making things very available to the point that Lorraine has currently put a expression of interest out for a wellness or health retreat that she wants to do. In fact, you're, you're still here um, in um, February. And she's gone and she's gone and trained as a trauma informed yoga instructor. So she's got some additional skills as well as being a very holistic human. And then we have Peressa, who is just kind of the most, how would we describe mm. Peressa? Bright, enthusiastic, appreciative, caring human. Um, one of those people that we work with. So they model behaviours that I think are infectious. So I think your team needs to have a combination of personalities. I think you have to have believers. I think you have to have people who are like this, this, this the persistence. So Shahina, I would say one of her absolute strengths is Shahina's just slow, calm, gentle persistence. And whereas I want to get in there, do it. Go to... But, you know, I think those two things complement. So, you know, one of us may have an idea and we'll take it on for the other. And that might require Shahina's energy. Like we, we do have a little description. I bring the sun energy and Shahina brings the moon energy. And by that, it's just kind of different energies that you need amongst a group of people who share, I think, a common vision. I've labeled four particular people. There are so many more of our colleagues who really appreciate it and I would say would be leaders in that space. And the other two people I'd mention are Victoria Brazel and Eve Purdy. And they take a a much more intellectual and informed mm. approach to this, Tay. They, they, they'd be world leaders uh, and thought leaders in team performance. Um, but they, and they've enacted quite a few practices like a team huddle at the beginning of each shift which, you know, just complement, I think, the, the wellness work so beautifully. I think effective teams are trusting teams. And so this is another modality of, through an activity of sharing vulnerabilities, you're building trust. So, and you, you know yourself, when you work with a team where you know each other, you know experiences or you share an experience of a recess, you become ever bonded to those people because you've worked together in a very close, high-pressure situation. And if you can take that out of that situation before it arrives and build those bonds of trust, like the, and, and there is, like Shahina says, that evidence is really strongly there and that's very much around the relational coordination and teamwork stuff that Eve has all the evidence for. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's, there's things that you've experienced within within a team that will bond that team together for life, effectively, in both our specialties. So I know that you're both very interested in human factors and education and training. So by the time this uh, podcast comes out, um, the Association of Anaesthetists will have published what we think are the first national guidelines on implementing human factors in anaesthesia. And I'd be interested to hear both of your thoughts on teams training together because that's one of the recommendations in the guidance and how much that feeds into well-being of the team. So I guess there's many aspects to teams training together and again we're, we're so lucky to have uh, you know world-class educators here at Gold Coast but I guess what I observe them doing really well Tay is that there's a cognitive component to you know, the learning experience, but there's a very strong 
kind of emotional and almost metacognitive component to how they learn and to the approach. And so as Krista has alluded to, I think what the teams leave uh, an education session with is some improvement in their knowledge, but importantly, an improvement in the collective way in which they do their work. And probably the third thing is that uh, recognition or that higher level awareness of how that works, of how the human factors, the system factors come into play, you know, recognizing what the barriers might be to good performance, and then taking a really pragmatic approach to reflecting on that. What does metacognitive mean? I'm sorry, I'm showing my ignorance here. Uh, so metacognition <laughs> is the process of thinking about how we think. Uh, and, you know, it's it's about, you know, really examining the way in which we think about things or the way in which we rationalize them. So one of the challenges we face in healthcare is that teams are forever changing based. We work shift patterns. You might we can't be in a situation where the same team always works together. And I think what doing the wellness stuff collectively as a team does is it creates a culture and so if you have a culture of an expected way of behavior and an expected way of how you will be received and how you care for your colleagues then I think that enables teams to be built much more efficiently and much more effectively Yeah, so there's something something about not just saying this is the way, having that as your values, you're demonstrating by your actions that these are your values and this is how we expect the team to behave. In anaesthetics, I think one of the biggest things that has changed the way that we work is, is the team brief that we now have at the beginning of the day where everybody introduces themselves and that's common practice or that's routine practice now. It's probably had the biggest impact on the way that we work as a team that I can think of. Isn't it amazing that something so simple as knowing somebody's name and because you create a connection, how like, that simple stuff is so huge and it's easy to do. Yeah. And I think the feed that's into cool. well-being is that um, it creates psychological safety, whether it is your team briefing or our team huddle, or even if it is just a, a silly pause. <laughs> I guess there's the spoken or unspoken message of, you know, we trust each other. And how this translates in the resus room is that if you feel out of your depth or if you feel overwhelmed or if you're concerned about something, then hopefully you'll be you'll feel a little bit more enabled to speak up and either ask for help or point out that something doesn't seem to be going right. It's that I've got your back mentality. I think that's a real key. Yeah, immensely powerful. So well-being is such an enormous and important area in healthcare, and particularly in the recruitment and retention crisis that we're seeing in the UK. As experienced well-being gurus. What advice would you give to enthusiastic clinicians who are starting in these roles or find themselves in that position through default? Shahina. I think my advice would be to start something. It is a big and complex challenge uh, that we are facing and in actual truth have faced for generations. And I think we could easily feel overwhelmed by this idea that therefore the response or the solution needs to be equally big and complex. But I think one of the keys is to keep it simple 
And I think what you do matters a little bit, but I think what matters more is just doing something and start something, see how it goes. Uh, Having said that, give it a good period of time before you've decided that it's failed and then build on that. You know, it is an iterative process. Be open to feedback. And probably one of the most important things, apart from what we've talked about already, is find a friend to do it with you. Thank you. And Krista, what would your advice be? Yeah, build your build your people, build your team, build your tribe. Um, and it doesn't have to be a big tribe to start with. You just need one friend. <laughs> and you just need to demonstrate. And And I think it becomes, I think people become curious the more you share your own vulnerabilities and the strategies you have that keep you, particularly now, I guess, where, where we're in the kind of leader generation and the wiser cohort of people I think people look curiously at how did we how do, how are we still so happy in what we're doing and there must be a message in that so I I think um, that I don't know if that, I don't know if that answers your question but yeah definitely have a friend and just practice what you preach I guess role model it showcase it that's really great advice from both of you and and also but in the safety of the knowledge that you don't have to be perfect And in fact, you know, your failings can be a gift to those around you. And that idea that, you know, what being happy in our jobs and being happy in our lives doesn't mean we get it right 100% of the time, uh, but that we can make errors and that we can, you know, be disappointed in ourselves, but still actually overall be functional and fulfilled. Oh, thank you both very much for such an enjoyable podcast. I've really enjoyed talking to you both and, and hearing all your words. Thank you, Tay, for the opportunity. It was really fun. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Coffee and a Gas. If you'd like to hear more, please visit the Association of Anaesthetists website.